Hello, this is Brighter Evening, a podcast where we discuss fun, food, and ideas to make the world brighter. Good evening, my name is Josh, and this is Brighter Evening. Tonight we're going to have a bit of a fun episode. We're going to look at the idea of time travel, which means that there doesn't necessarily need to be much in the way of references. I haven't really um, put together any references for this because this is more of me talking through a thought experiment and, uh, and just kind of thinking about what's possible. Rational or not, I've had these thoughts from time to time, like, what if I were sent back in time? What would I do? Would I be able to cope? Uh, would I be able to cope with the style of life? Would I be strong enough? Would I know enough? Because the modern life is very different from the ancient life, right? We live we live our lives in very different ways. We rely on very different systems and things. Um, grocery stores in their current form haven't existed that long. Um, the the work that a lot of us do wouldn't have been valuable uh, 50 or 100 years ago, or certainly 500 years ago. Right, many, many jobs that we do weren't around. That's before the Industrial Revolution, so factory jobs, clerical jobs, right? There's very few clerical jobs that existed. Um, you know, if you weren't a farmer or a merchant, you know, there were police and military type functions. There were um, functions to serve the king. There were chefs and, and cooks and things like that. But the the world of possibilities of work was pretty limited and it relied heavily on manual labor. So that, that's something I've thought about from time to time. Um, you know, would, would I even be able to cope in a world like that? And, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure. Maybe, I guess, you know, you adapt to where you are and you adapt to your time. But if we took the idea seriously and presume, presume that time travel is possible, you have a time machine or a, time ray shoots you or something and it sends you back to the past and you're stuck there. It's a one-way trip. Or, you know, maybe you're there for a long time, for years, and you're not sure if you're going to get back. Now, the the first thing that most people think of with this sort of time thing is the grandfather paradox, right? The idea that if you went back in time and killed your own grandfather before he had your parents, your, your mother or your father, then you wouldn't exist. And so there's this paradox. And so, you know, you, you think about that stuff. And a lot of people have kind of looked at those sort of timeline paradoxes and the possible ways that they could be resolved. Um, the simplest of which is that time travel is not possible, right? But there could be others. Um, you know, there, there could be a whole new timeline. It could be that you're prevented. It could be the universe tears apart. Who knows? Um, and then there's the whole butterfly effect, right? The whole, the whole idea that, you know, if a butterfly flaps its wings, it changes the wind patterns. Maybe it, it, you know, causes some dust to go up. It causes an animal to sneeze, which causes a herd of animals to run, which further alters the wind patterns in such a way that a hurricane forms and that hurricane comes and, you know, smashes into Florida. And so that butterfly flapping its wings unleashed tremendous destruction months later because weather and, and the earth are chaotic systems. So, you know, there's there's a good amount of caution to be had should you be a time traveler not to change the course of events because something very small that you do 
could make a significant difference, right? If you pick up $10 off the street, you know, that finding that $10 might have been in someone's fate and you change that. And because of that, they didn't have money to buy a book. And next thing you know, you know, the technology that you're accustomed to in your future disappears. Um, or, you know, you, you save someone and that someone turns out to be a, you know, the end of humanity, right? You know, there's, there's a million of these situations, um, and, you know, in all kinds of fictional worlds where time travel is possible, they're the sort of things that are played with, right? Uh, uh, Doctor Who spends a lot of time with time travel, and so they have, they have kind of some rules within the universe of that show where certain events in past are fixed points in time and you can't change them, but other events can be. Um, and I, I think that they do that because if they do that in the show, it, keeps the timeline from getting too messy and keeps things similar enough to the the past and that we're used to and you know the future that they've written in the past of the show but it still gives them some room to change things um so that said that, that's kind of a pretty common take on time travel and i'd like to look at the idea you don't care about changing the future and there could be a lot of reasons one could be you just don't care for whatever reason you think your future's bad anyways you're stuck there forever and you don't care what happens in the future. Um, you're curious about if you can change it, you know, when you go back, if you can go back. So you don't care. Um, you know, that, that starts to free up some stuff. Now, a couple problems, right? Where do you show up in the past? You know, if you show up in New York a hundred years ago, other than wearing some kind of funny fashion, probably compared to what those around you were wearing, you're not going to have too much trouble if you're able to listen to this podcast, right? People will understand you. You'll understand them. But if you go back a thousand years ago in the place that is now New York, you're going to have a very different situation. And likewise, if you go into Europe, even even English a thousand years ago isn't quite the same. So for the sake of argument, we're going to assume this is, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, Doctor Who, whatever, right? All these different sh- uh, shows and movies, um, Hitchhiker's Guide, right? They all have something that allows you to understand the local language, right? Whether that's a translator circuit or a babblefish or uh, just you're really good at learning languages and you're able to pick it up pretty quickly. Um, I mean, through necessity, that probably isn't that too unrealistic because you're going to have to learn the language, right? No one else speaks what you do. So let's just say very quickly you're able to pick up the language and communicate effectively and persuasively. Now, the other thing you would want to imagine is that you could get people to listen to your ideas, maybe influential people. Um, there's ways you could do that. So I can think of one example is if you had some knowledge of uh, some event that's going to happen in the near future. Maybe you happen to know that you're traveling to, um, you know, right before the Battle of Hastings and you talk about what's going to happen in the Battle of Hastings and you're in the area where that happens, and so you, you have some foreknowledge. People now think you're a prophet. Um, maybe you're just good at flattering the king, right? You use your sophistry to tell the king, you know, I've got, I've got some secrets, and if we follow these secrets, we're going to become the most prosperous kingdom, and people will think that you're a wondrous king, and the other kingdoms in the area will be much weaker than us. And I'd like to serve you, king. I mean, you could, you could do that sort of thing. Um, 
you know, maybe maybe you're just a good persuasive speaker. Maybe you're able to outsmart other people because you've had better nutrition your whole life. Whatever it is, let's just presume that you find a way to get people to listen to your ideas and take action on them. And maybe it's simple enough as you're able to do some valuable skill people are willing to pay you for, and then you use the money that you get to carry out some of your ideas. And what your ideas are really, it, it really matters um, how the ideas end up being executed, right? Because you have to think about your goals. Um, you know, your goals could be to experience the past and observe it and write it with the future audience of your time in mind, right? Your time being 2020 or whenever you make this journey. And if you write that sort of documentation, then your goals are really going to be to just get some pen and paper and write it down in your native language and, you know, explain how you got there and whatever else. And people probably won't believe it. But if it survives and you find a way to make it survive, then, you know, you could you could pretty reasonably communicate some good information in the future. In fact, if you were good enough at planning things, you could probably, you know, find a you know, tell people, all right, I'm going to put it in this spot. And then as soon as I disappear, start digging in that spot and they'll find it and it'll be a few hundred years old, right? That's that's the realm of fiction in, in time travel, right? Where, you know, people do things and it's as though it happened immediately, even though it happened a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago or whatever. Um, you could probably do something like that. And if that's your goal, then you don't need to convince too many people. But what if you want to bend the curve of the future and how you want to bend it ends up affecting how convincing you need to be and and what sort of assistance you need. So, for example, if you wanted to introduce ideas and ethics and philosophy before their time, right, you want to you talk about the ideas that Immanuel Kant had, but you want to do that 100 years before he was born or 500 years before he was born, you could do that. You need to write your ideas down. You need to get to the respected academics of, of that day and explain them and debate with them and get them to understand your ideas. And I think if you really understood the philosophy you're discussing and you're able to break it down and write about it in a coherent way, that might not be too terribly difficult. Especially if you are able to understand the prevailing philosophies and ideas. The further you get out of the realm of pure philosophy, the more you step out into the dark as far as people's knowledge goes the harder it gets, right? We, we think about, you know, Copernicus and his idea that the Earth was round and, and that the sun was the center of, of our solar system, right? That the Earth was moving around the sun. There are people who could have believed that idea, but it was, it was a step out in the dark and it was hard for people to believe because all the theories were based on something else, um, you know, and, and some of that had a, you know, religious basis based on, a particular interpretation of Christianity, but a lot of it was just people knew a certain version of how things worked, and they had models to explain it, and having a different model didn't fit with that, and that's hard. So maybe, you know, you've you've got to be careful how far you step out, but you can do it. Um, and I think even even in pure philosophy, you'd have to be careful, but as soon as you get into something that's a little bit less philosophy and more what we would call today science. Um, it gets to be difficult. 
mathematics also, right? You might understand a whole lot of mathematics, but unless you can explain the basis of the mathematics you're doing, it gets to be hard, right? You know, you, you pick a realm of math. Calculus is probably the perfect example. You could go to invent calculus, right? You could go be like, ah, I, I know calculus, I'm going to invent it. But you've got to be able to explain limits, and, and you've got to be able to explain the idea of as you approach infinity, this limit. So you've got to have a really good solid basis in that understanding so that you can write proofs for how all these ideas work. I mean, if there's one person in history that's most likely to have been a time traveler, it was probably Isaac Newton, right? Because he did so much when he was very young and, and produced so much throughout his, his entire life of scientific and mathematical discoveries. You know, maybe he knew that stuff from, from the future and brought it back. I don't believe that necessarily, but um, or I don't really believe it at all. But you know, if, if there's one person, I'd say hmm, maybe, maybe he'd be the one, right? He he seemed to punch way above his weight. And I'm not saying that it wasn't the time for calculus to be discovered. There were others thinking about it, right? Leibniz famously had developed some of these ideas independently from Newton. Then again, maybe Newton and Leibniz were both time travelers. I mean, I you know, we're we're gonna take that idea seriously just for tonight. So, you could do that. You could introduce ideas before their, their time. Maybe you could speed up the progression of technology. right? If you know some things about how the modern world works, you could help those ideas gain traction. Maybe you could build some devices. Maybe your goal is just to be comfortable. And if your goal is to be comfortable, I've, I've, there's a few things to think about, right? You're probably going to want to, I don't know, get married and, and figure that out, whatever whatever family life is in that time, and just find a sustainable way to live. I don't know that a person from today, their idea of comfort is even possible if you go back you know, far enough, because we have cars, right? Even the least expensive new car has air conditioning. People have air conditioning in their homes. They, you know, they can drive. We have global connectivity. We can pull up information at any moment. We have as much entertainment as we want. We have the, the, the poorest among us in, you know, industrialized countries and even, even countries that aren't that industrialized are rich in ways that were unfathomable not that many years ago. Now, in absolute terms compared to others, you know, the, the accumulation of wealth is, is a different story, right? You could certainly be poor and and your you know ability to do things and affect the world and buy what you want is greatly reduced compared to you know uh, a, a titan of industry or whatever right someone who's making millions and millions and millions of dollars a year or has millions and millions and millions of dollars in the bank but 20 years ago you couldn't carry a supercomputer in your pocket and today, by the definition of 20 years ago, we do, right? We have computers capable of a tremendous amount of computation, right? And they use it to do Instagram filters and stuff like that, right? Cell phones are incredibly powerful computers, not to mention the, the desktop computers and laptops and, you know, embedded computers that are everywhere. Um, you know, all, all the stuff that that empowers is available only recently. And so I think getting to a point where you'd be comfortable if you were sent back in time would be pretty hard. You probably would end up wanting to bend the curve of history to bring some inventions about. And if you're 
knowledgeable enough, if you know enough, you could probably do it. So let's say it's around 100 years ago. If it was exactly 100 years ago, well, it's the beginning of the Roaring Twenties, you can make quite a lot of money just knowing to invest, and more importantly, knowing to pull out by like January of 1928 so your money's totally safe and, you know, turn it into turn it into land, right? Purchase some land. That's your only safe investment in 1920. There were places in 1920 where the stock market went to zero. Didn't happen in the United States, but it, it did happen in some places. So you don't want the market to go to zero. Um, you'd want to you'd hold on to some stuff. Um, but you could probably improve the state of the art with cars, right? Give some ideas, uh, you know, electric starters. I'm not sure if they were in place by then. Um, you know, ideas like windshield wipers, different types of fenders, airbags, um, the, uh, the seatbelt, you can introduce the seatbelt early and save lives. Um, you know, maybe you could get electric cars ahead of the game if you knew enough about how that works. Um, you know, see, uh, was it constant, uh, or continuous transmissions, the, the sort of transmissions that don't use gearing, that technology probably was possible. The material science may not have quite been there, but it was probably possible back then. Um, some kind of hybrid car, you know, that that idea would have been at least somewhat possible. Um, so, you know, there are, there are a lot of different ideas that possible. I don't know if they'd be efficient enough with the technology of the era, but you could you could talk about this stuff, write about it, and get the ideas out there. Probably one of the biggest things you could do is stop World War One from happening. Now this is a little more than a hundred years ago that World War One started, but you know it all it all kicked off because of the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. And the guys doing it, well, you know, they failed at every every turn, except at the last minute, one of the guys who was going to do this was eating lunch, and the Duke came through. I think it was a change of route. And he said, gee, what, what luck? And then he shoots him. And that starts the war. You could pretty easily stop that, right? You just have to go to the place where the guy was eating lunch and convince him that the sandwiches are bad and to go around the corner. Archduke would have passed, and World War One would have been averted, and the horrors of trench warfare would have taken longer to take place. Maybe they would have never taken place. I find that hard to believe, but it's possible. Um, you could certainly push the state of the art with computer science. Electronic computers had not been invented yet, so if you knew some computer science, you could you could bring that forward. Um, and that's an interesting one to me. Computers hadn't been invented yet, but the earliest papers on what are now considered computer science were from quite a long time ago, um, well before computers existed. You know, Ada Lovelace is famous for having written those those uh, sorts of papers and, and sort of the first programs and things. There's a programming language even named after her. And the the thing is, like you could you could explain a lot of these ideas without actually having a computer, right? Computer science is the study of how things happen in in the world of computation, not necessarily about actually building computers or 
necessarily even writing programs on computers. We talk about the be, the behavior as things grow. That's kind of the core idea in computer science and in reality. So it would be possible to push that state of the art. I think you could even do it 150 years ago, maybe a bit more. But at some point, I think the theoretical basis isn't there enough. Um, if we go back 150 years ago, um, you could certainly help to speed up the development of the internal combustion engine if you were you know, a mechanically inclined person. A lot of the parts were there, um, but a lot of the theory wasn't there. So if you, if you know about things like valve timing, if you know about um, what it's necessary to get a V6 versus an inline 6 versus an inline 4 running, turbos, right? The idea of turbos and superchargers, different different devices that have different roles in improving the efficiency and performance of an engine. And it's absolutely amazing how much engines have improved in efficiency since the, the early years of engines. So if you go back maybe 100 years ago, so this is before the 150-year range we're talking about, a tractor engine, right? It was a few horsepower, maybe four horsepower, because it's it, tractor engines today still aren't that powerful because they're just replicating what horses used to do, right? Plowing a field. But you know, even even sports cars of the era, right, had like thirty horsepower, and now if you get a base model two point five liter inline four engine, you can get over a hundred horsepower, right? One hundred and thirty, hundred and forty horsepower without a turbocharger. If you put a turbocharger in, like in you know a lot of the kind of more compact cars now, the higher-end models will come with a turbo in it, and that'll that'll give you an even more powerful engine and an even more compact form factor, right? Like a two-liter engine is capable of producing, you know, 140 horsepower or something. Like, it's crazy. So if if you really knew your way around engines and you went back in time, you could say, yeah, well, let's do that, but actually let's do this and be more efficient. You could probably prevent a lot of pollution that way. In fact, your knowledge of pollution and what's possible to do with pollution, if you came 150 years ago, would make it possible to make the Industrial Revolution more environmentally friendly, right? Put a lot less sulfur dioxide in the air, for example. Put a lot lot less soot in the air, for example. Because these are things we know are possible now, and a lot of this technology isn't that crazy, right? You have a tall smokestack, you ionize the walls, and... You know, the smoke sticks to it, and every so often something lumps the wall of the smokestack, and the particles fall out, and you, you bury those or whatever, right? And now that you're not getting so much crud in the air. I mean, I guess at one point they didn't really even think about it, but, you know, up into the 60s, people were saying things, if it doesn't stink, our economy's not running, you know? And then Earth Day happened, right? We realized something bad was happening, we were able to turn the corner. Now, we're not perfect with with the environment, right? We're not completely taking care of it. Obviously, we've got some serious problems, but we have made improvements. We can still make more improvements. We can find ways to do this. And if you started that whole line of thinking earlier, we could be way, way ahead of the curve. Again, here, I think you could um, add in computer science as a thing in that time frame. Um, The other thing is, this is the era of the suffrage movement, right? For women's right to vote. You could certainly move that forward 150 years ago. Um, in fact, it was almost exactly 150 years ago. Utah was the first state to give women the right to vote. So that's certainly something you could you could help be convincing on. 
that's probably, if you're an expert in physics, late enough in terms of the development of the theoretical basis for physics to be able to explain relativity, to give the, the equations of relativity, to explain the thought experiments behind it. It'd be hard to test, but with the knowledge of eclipses, right, because this is, you know, well after the, uh, the time of Copernicus, it'd be possible to actually test relativity much earlier. Um, you know, if you were able to do it 50 years earlier, there could be additional time to move forward. That said, you know, knowing that World War One and Two are coming, having a development of an atomic bomb earlier than that could be pretty bad. Um, you know, and, and that's really not that far from the time of radiation being discovered and studied and not, people not realizing how dangerous it was, right? Madame Curie, uh, she ended up getting sick from the radiation that she was encountered. I think she ended up dying from it. But it's something you could do. And like I said, I think this is really, you know, some something you'd probably want to be careful with, uh, you know, radiation and, and relativity and stuff, because if people are able to pick up those ideas too early... Um, I, I think there's been a lot of maturation of political institutions to make make it so that we were able to hang on to that power without using it in, in, a, in a greatly destructive way. I mean, you can imagine certain leaders in history, right? Napoleon, if he had a nuclear bomb, I don't think he'd hesitate to use it to, you know, invade Russia and take over. Um, maybe, but I, I don't know. I mean, certainly Hitler in World War II was trying. Um, so that's one you'd want to be very careful with. Um, if you go back beyond 150 years, we go into, say, the 250 to 300 year range. At that point, I think you could improve the knowledge of electricity. You could prove things like magnetism is... Um, is caused by electricity or, or can cause electricity to flow. Um, you could give some more detailed theories, you know, about electrons moving and the electromotive force, and things like that. Um, I think that would be a really great time to be a writer on the ideals and ideas of democracy in the 250 to 300 year ago range. So you're talking about, you know, 1600s, 1700s. At that point, you know, a lot of the ideas that were coming to modern democracies that led to modern democracies were being written down you know philosophers like john locke you could be one of those philosophers right you could write some of these books and influence the thinking of the founders of the united states right which was really the the american experiment was a sea change in the way that countries functioned before that right it was you know for for most of the world it was monarchies and kingdoms and stuff that were built around, you know, either violence or inheritance or whatever. And you could change that. Um, I think also at that time, you would be able to invent the bicycle earlier than it was invented. I think the technology would be there to build a bicycle and explain what it is and produce it for sale. The bicycles have limited use if you don't have good roads, but there would be cities where it would be usable. And I think having the bicycle earlier would have really jump-started things because personal transportation would have been much faster and 
that would cause a boom in economic growth because now a larger region can work together. It prevents you from having this kind of like roughly 10 miles between city or between town rule that kind of ruled everything. If you had reasonable roads between places, now your your ability to move goes from maybe 3 miles an hour for most people to about 10 miles an hour. That takes you up to reasonably being able to go you know, five, ten miles each way. Really, you could do more than that if you needed to go to the market. The market could be, you know, 45 minutes away. And you could still reasonably do that on a bicycle, right? 90 90 minutes of travel. And that's okay, right? As long as you don't need to do it every day. So if you're a farmer, you could live a lot further from the center of town. Or more realistically, right? If you lived in the town, you could live further from your field and still get there. That would, I think, change the dynamics. You'd have a lot more cities grow faster and probably change urbanism quite a lot. Um, that that would be an interesting one to, to try to introduce and, and see how it affected things. Um, let's say that you're you're good at convincing people and working with others. If you can find a glass blower and you know a blacksmith or some people that know how to work with metal, and you can get some some metals like copper and things, you could probably invent vacuum tubes. You could at least get a diode and maybe even a triode working. If you have a triode working, that's that's enough to build an amplifier. I don't necessarily understand the ins and outs of vacuum tubes. They're pretty complicated and you know, well well before my time. But a triode is is pretty similar in uh design to a to a um transistor, at least what its function is in a circuit. So you could build an amplifier, and if you can build an amplifier, you can do a lot of interesting stuff. You'd need to invent the speaker, but that's that's actually easier than building a vacuum tube. You'd need to, I think, invent capacitors and come up with these ideas of resistance and really start measuring some of the stuff. But if you could if you could do all that, which if you're an electrical engineer, you could, right? You could you could probably get all this stuff to work if it was what you could focus on. You could convince people to follow you to do it. You could probably invent the radio 300 years ago. That would be far earlier than it was invented. And you wouldn't start with sparks, right? Spark gap was the way they did it. That would actually be pretty easy to develop sooner, spark gap radio. And people saw the benefit of that right away between, you know, the Navy, ham operators, commercial operators, right? Marconi made his fortune that way. If you could get to AM radio in that time frame, which is entirely feasible if you understand it from the beginning, you could change things a lot. Imagine if during the American Civil War they had radios to communicate with. Wow, that'd be crazy. What about during the, the War for Independence? We're talking 300 years ago, right? You could You could even describe other means of communication, right? You could describe FM radio. You could even describe digital modes, although it'd be hard for people to understand why you'd want to do that sort of modulation, right? QAM or stuff like that. But there there are things that came along with that, right? Typewriters weren't around then, but guns were. And if you could get guns, uh, gun manufacturers to help you, you could probably get something precise enough to be like a typewriter, and you could create a radio teletype system. People would see the benefit in that. I mean that was uh, that was pretty amazing, right? And you could have, um, you know, not only wireless telegrams but direct telegrams and and 
voice communication. You really could invent the telephone pretty easily at that point. You just need to have a, um, a, a microphone that works. And there's two kinds that you can you could probably build with the technology of 250 years ago. There's the condenser microphone and there's the resistive microphone. I feel like the resistive microphone would be easier to achieve. I don't think a speaker would be terribly difficult to achieve um, because you can you can build electromagnets. You just need to be able to extrude wire, and I think that would be your hardest challenge. But once you show the benefit of some of this stuff, I mean, any leader is who, who catches the vision of it is going to realize the strategic advantage it is. And once it's a strategic advantage, they're going to take advantage of it, you know, and, and then the idea is going to spread. Um, I think if you had a good knowledge of chemistry and optics, you could probably develop photography. Um, you know, we're talking a little before the age of bifocals, but glasses did exist. So people had an idea of optics, maybe not a fully fleshed out idea, but it was there. So, yeah, I mean, you could, you could certainly develop photography, you know, with the right chemicals. That might be tricky. I, I, you know, I'm certainly not an expert in in the chemistry of early photography, but you know, silver existed, and a lot of silver compounds are are um, light sensitive. So if you can get all the chemistry right for exposing the film, transferring it, you could you can make some early photographs. If you go back to a little further, 300 to 400 years ago you could make great advances in the concept of electricity and magnetism because these were really not well understood. Um, you might be able to do it with radio, but you know, you're, you're really pushing the limits with radio. You might be able to get the bicycle in that era, but again, you're, you're kind of pushing it, right? Because the mechanical stuff wasn't there. Um, but I think the, the thing I think in that area you could do that would be really interesting would be flip books and moving picture ideas. And when I say mo moving picture or motion picture, I'm not talking about films, right? I'm not talking about something you showed a movie theater, although that could happen, I guess. I'm really thinking about, you know, that, that thing we've all seen of the, the horse running when you spin the, uh, spin the, the wall or it, uh, it, it looks kind of like a little carousel and it causes animation to happen like that sort of animation. You could show that idea much earlier. And I don't know what would happen if that was a possibility for people. I don't know if between that and the development of photography, you know, motion pictures as a, as a medium for expression would happen sooner or if it would just be an artistic curiosity, right? I mean, there were the sort of cameras that you used to look at an eclipse well before actual cameras that record photos existed. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's a tough one. If you go back even further, say a thousand years ago, and anything that, you know, that you do back here can, can come later, right? So that's kind of how I'm thinking about this stuff. Can we do it? If we can do it a thousand years ago, but it wasn't discovered 150 years ago, could we do it 150 years ago? And so there's some big things that come to my mind of stuff you could introduce a thousand years ago and really change the arc of history. One is the introduction of the scientific method, really explaining that idea, explaining how you formulate a hypothesis, test it, you know, make it a falsifiable test, and then write down those results, and someone else can test it, and, and you explain these ideas to each other. If you develop that idea sooner, 
science would happen sooner, and then engineering would take off. And I think you'd have an explosion in technology earlier. I think ethical philosophy, too. Um, people always have looked at ethics, and, you know, certainly we, we look to religion as a great source for ethics. And it, it you know, religion truly does help people build an ethical core. But you could you could come up with uh, or, or be the one to explain you know deontology or utilitarianism and and explain these ideas because they're ideas that make sense and they give you another way to analyze ethical situations and help people be better to each other right those, those sort of things like the ability to have a social contract and understand how you build trust and and teach ethics and analyze them that gives you the ability to form a better society. And a better society is a better functioning society. And so you could, if you introduce that, and that became part of the virtues that people learned in your society, you could end up building a society that's more just. Um, I think that's an interesting idea. Also, the modern theory of state. What makes a nation? What makes a state? The ideas of those eras, right, the you know, thousand years ago, really were around the king, right, and and the kingdom, right. We talk about sovereign nations now. We don't really talk about the person as a sovereign, not often. But even two hundred years ago, if I said the word sovereign, they were thinking about the person, the king, not the idea that the state itself has sovereign authority. Right? When we talk about sovereign debt today, it's debt taken out in the name of the United States or England or China or whatever, not the debt taken out in the name of the king. Except for maybe in the case of England, I guess, right? They have a sovereign who's the queen. There are other countries with kings and queens still, princes. But, you know, the modern theory of state, like the function of the state, the idea that the state has the monopoly on the legitimate force or legitimate use of force, right? That's one of the defining things about a government. It legitimately can arrest people. It can legitimately fight wars in a way that no private organization can. So that is different because it's it's different from might makes right. right? Might is only able to follow the the will of the state, and that really helps to explain why democracy can work, right? How does democracy work when you don't have a king? Well, the state becomes the sovereign, and you have this this idea that the only one who's allowed to use force is the state in executing the laws that meet the will of the people, whatever that means. So you could introduce that. That stuff could make a huge difference. I mean... If, if you had that foundational philosophy in place that long ago, I think democracies would form sooner and you'd, you'd have you know, a more fair world, right? If you add that plus the idea of ethical philosophies being taught, maybe uh, the, the idea of education as an important factor for all citizens teaching everyone to read, that's, that's major stuff and it could make a huge difference. Well, there are... I would say three things that I think would have the biggest impact that could have been done a thousand years ago, and I think you could go even further, and would really transform things and leave an amazing historical record 
um, in, in some cases. So I'm going to go in the order of impact that I think they have. The first is recording audio. We think of recording audio now as an electronic thing, but the first audio recordings happened when Edison and, and co. invented the phonograph. Right? And that worked by having mechanical vibrations recorded in wax. The wax would then be transferred to something else, and you drag a needle through it. Now, you need to develop that something else, or not, right? I mean, the wax could play it back at least once. And if that something else is clay, it might be a bit harsh, but playback can work, and it can be completely mechanical, right? You put a little piece of wood in, or a little piece of metal, and you run it through that clay once it's dried, and you can play it back as many times as you want. People had the ability to create a disc, and the early phonographs were cranked by hand. Later, when motors were invented and amplifiers were invented, we had higher fidelity systems, but there's no reason that couldn't have been done earlier. And there's a theory that even clay pots from however many years ago, where they were using potter's wheels, may have recorded sounds in the room, and they may be able to be played back with the right technology. Imagine if we did that intentionally. Imagine if we actually did record this. Right? Recording audio would have been really cool, and it would be a boon, because people could record things and play it back, whether it's music, they could spread ideas, the manufacture of these devices would be relatively inexpensive. Um, you know, they're, they're based on clay and stuff that's pretty readily available. I'm not saying every house would have it, but certainly the elites would. And that would mean way more information gets recorded about that time in history. That'd be really cool. And maybe some more information would disseminate, right? Because reading is a harder skill to acquire than listening. Um, hopefully you could inculcate the idea of reading. But if you can't, you know, reading for all, but if you can't do that, getting more of this information out there in a format people can consume would be pretty powerful. All right, another one is exercise and nutrition. Exercise, I think, is a less interesting one. But nutrition, right, the ideas of macronutrients and micronutrients and what balance they should be in and which foods have them, you may not have a perfect idea of all of that. But I think anyone today understands that there are different vitamins and roughly which foods have those vitamins. And, you know, I think a lot of people understand if you don't have vitamin A, it causes skin and eye problems. And if you don't have vitamin D, you get rickets. And if you don't have vitamin C, you get scurvy. And maybe you know some sources of vitamin C and D and, you know, E and A. And if you do, you can kind of explain what these are and explain their purpose in your body and even name them. And if you were to do that, health would increase a lot, right? If you could bring iodine into people's diets earlier, like we do with iodized salt, intelligence would shoot up, right? Because the smart people live by the ocean because they got iodine from fish. If you could bring that to be the case all over, the intelligence of the entire country would go up. Imagine what that would do if the average person's IQ within 40 years went up by 20 or 30 points because people had better nutrition. And I'm using IQ roughly. I know IQ is a controversial measurement, but imagine that sort of increase in intelligence. And that's what you're talking about when it comes to better nutrition, not to mention the better health. That could really transform a place, and that whole concept of nutrition could change things. You'd need to have better farming techniques, right? There's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of research on the best way to farm. And so I would add farming techniques into this as a, a piece of it. How do you farm in a way that produces food for a lot of people? 
because it was the 60s when we figured that out finally. We figured out how to produce enough food for the whole world to the point that we can have more food than we need. We throw half of our food away and people are still overweight. It's a crazy time in history to realize that rich people are slim and poor people are overweight. That's only possible because of a revolution in farming and food production. You could start pieces of that much sooner if you understood irrigation and fertilization properly, and you could teach that to others. All right, and I'm going to go with end with what I think the biggest thing you could do is, and that is introduce the germ theory of medicine. You could have done this a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago, but explain the germ theory of medicine. There's a thing called a germ, right? We know bacteria and viruses. Germs are the things that they're, they get in your body and they make you sick. And if you can get rid of those germs, you won't get sick as much and you'll live healthier. And the great thing is all you need to do to prevent germs is wash your hands before you eat. Wash your hands regularly with soap, right? Soap and water. Soap has been around for at least 2,000 years. And gosh, you could go back to any time and invent soap. You just need fat, ashes, and water, and you can make soap. So go invent soap. Teach people how to wash their hands. Teach doctors to cover their mouth and nose when they're seeing patients. Have the patients do it. Wash, you know, before you do surgery, wash up. These were controversial ideas not that many years ago, right? Certainly less than 300 years ago, these weren't even new ideas. Louis Pasteur thought up this stuff and said, hey, what if? Right? Came up with pasteurization. If we had these ideas sooner, again, we'd have a healthier, stronger, more intelligent population, and human progress would happen faster. Because the potential that's lost when someone gets sick and they don't make it is tremendous, especially when it's a young person. Now, is every single person going to be the next Einstein? No, but you need a lot of people to get a lot of little pieces of progress. And then they can set things up for the next Einstein or the next Newton. And that will bring things forward. So, there's there's my question for you. Do you know enough about farming? Do you know enough about the germ theory of medicine? Do you know enough about science and engineering to make today's world happen sooner? Thanks for listening. My name is Josh, and this is Brighter Evening. Thank you for listening to Brighter Evening. I hope I've made your evening brighter. You can subscribe to us by RSS on Google or Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more information on the show or this episode, please visit brighterevening.com.